A special note for our audio listeners. This particular edition of Thinking Biblically features some fun and engaging visuals. So I have a couple of options for you. I've provided a PDF file with the key graphics at thinkingbiblically.org slash illusions.pdf, or you can watch the video version by simply going to thinkingbiblically.org slash illusions, all lowercase. These links can be found in the podcast description. Enjoy! This week on Thinking Biblically, we delve into the world of illusion. As you can see, we are facing quite the winter day here in Ottawa. And I don't know about you, but I would rather be in a place like this is the beach in Tel Aviv. A lot warmer than it is here today in Ottawa. Well, actually, this is more where I am. Uh, welcome back, as I said, to Thinking Biblically. Um, I've been playing with this this background, and uh, you know, we live in a world of illusion today. It really is a very snowy day today, and I did take that video earlier this morning. But um, this actually is uh, what you're seeing is also a, a fake background. It's uh, part of a green screen. Let's see here. Whoop! There we have. It's actually a green screen attached to my chair. It's a pretty cool little gizmo, and I, I like I like this background. But it is fake. Can we we live in a day of we're just so used to living in a world of illusion? There's this whole video uh, thing, for example, um, going back to the early days. There's still there's even though it's all digital now and it's so easy to do relatively. You should see what it's like for me to get this stuff set up. But um, I should stop hitting my microphone. Uh, motion, the whole idea of motion pictures is the is is an illusion of multiple frames, still frames, uh, being presented in very fast succession. I believe we're running this at thirty frames per second. That's a lot of frames. That's you know one 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 thousand. Well, in the course of my saying that. There were 30 frames presented to you, unless you're listening in the audio version. Motion pictures is moving pictures. That's where we get movie from is an illusion. In fact, it's a very effective illusion because it's giving an impression of reality, even though the exact way the, the presentation is being presented to you is, is illusionary. But we're not really fooling you. I was, I was sort of fooling you, I guess, with the with the snow. Uh, I I could maybe bring that. I really like this the snow one. Let's see if I can do that. Look at that, eh? Um, back to the. Did you catch where it looped? I find illusions and how we process illusions um, really something. And so what I'd like to do next is I want to as because I want to I want to talk about the illusionary world in which we live and how we're to relate to reality in the midst of an illusionary world. But first I want to show you some of my favorite optical illusions. Let's see if I could bring them up here. All right. So here we go. So you see this one, it, it probably looks like the wheels are turning, um, but they actually, they're not. If you focus on one of the dots in the center of one of these wheels, it should stop. And so you can try that again. Stare at one of the dots and the and at least the wheel that you thought was turning should stop. So this is not an animation. It's an optical illusion. Okay, here 
we have two, I don't know whether to call the middle dot uh, orange or brown or something in between, but these two dots, one looks bigger than the other, but in actuality, they're the same size. Okay, next one. Here, these horizontal lines look like they are slanted, but in reality, they are not. It's an illusion. Here, we've got some dots. They look like they're changing, like white, gray, black. Um, but if you isolate the dots, stare right into the center of these red circles. And if I haven't lost the audio people yet, I should have said this earlier, but uh, I've prepared a special PDF file with these graphics, uh, with the optical illusions and some other things that I'm going to show you and a link to the PDF file with the graphics will be available in the description. You could download it. If you isolate on a dot that you think had been switching, uh, black, white, gray, uh, and just stare right at that dot, you'll see that it doesn't change. It's in an illusion. Okay, this is the classic optical illusion called the young lady and the old hag. Now, I've seen this so many times, I could see both. Can you see both? There's a, if you look at it one way, there's a young lady. If you look another way, there's a very old woman. And if you can't see one or the other, I'm not too sure which one you're seeing and which one you're not seeing. But as far as I can tell, if you focus where I'm showing here, which is the young lady's eye and her little nose, you should be able to see the young lady. If you focus more towards the, the, the bottom of the photo, it's pointing at the bottom of the old woman's big nose. Okay, now try it again. See if you could see both. Not both at the same time. I don't think you can do that. This is a little illustration, very simple illustration about how the eye sees. And as I mentioned, I'm really fascinated by these, the processes. So this is trying to illustrate how our eye would look at something like a tree. This is not according to scale. Um, and so light reflects off the tree and enters the eye and projects an upside down version of the tree to the back of the inside of our eye. So in a sense, you know, you don't really see the tree. You see the reflection of light off the tree that goes to the back of your eye. And then this wonderful thing happens where if all is working well, that image is processed through the nerves to the brain and your brain flips it back over so you see the, the tree or whatever object right side up. This could give the impression that we don't really see the world in which we live. What we're doing is we're processing the world around us through our eye, through the nerves of our, of our eyes, and we see a representation of the, of the world around us. So we actually interact with the world in which we live through all this process. It's very, reality is very highly processed. Um, and so when things are not, when they don't go right, when we don't process properly, then our relationship, our version of reality, the world in which we live can become skewed. Um, I wear 
glasses like many people do. And I got glasses when I was about nine or 10 years old. And I remember getting glasses for the first time. I know many people have similar stories. All of a sudden I was seeing things that were there that I'd never seen before or hadn't seen properly. And it opened up the world to me. Uh, the world was already there, but I wasn't seeing it in, in the way that it really was. Now, of course, if our glasses aren't correct, which is again something that happens as we get older, our eyes change and we should be changing our prescription to adjust to the changing of, of our eyes. And if we fail to do so, again, how we perceive the world around us can be can be skewed. Notice where the problem is. The problem is with us and our inability to properly process the world in, in which we live. When we realize how much process goes on and how we uh, interpret the world around us, we might think, well, can we actually effectively interact with this world? Well, of course we can like walking on a crowded sidewalk, even though we may not be perceiving everything around us exactly the same way, uh, we're able to navigate the world in which we live. Again, if we are perceiving things properly. Here's an ancient illustration called The Blind Man and the Elephant that unintentionally highlights the problem of skewed perception. A group of blind men had heard of elephants, but had never encountered one. One day, they had the opportunity to inspect an elephant for themselves. As they gathered around the great creature, one blind man grasped the trunk and said the elephant was like a thick snake. Another, upon touching an ear, said it was like some sort of fan. Another, when examining a leg, said it was a pillar like a tree trunk. The one who was rubbing its side announced the elephant was a wall. Another, after feeling the tail, described it as a rope. The final blind man encountered its tusk, announcing that the elephant is hard, smooth, and like a spear. This story is usually told to illustrate how different religions are actually variations of the same truth. As each man experienced the elephant differently, so the religions of the world, despite those variations and often contradictory perspectives, are diverse expressions of the one universal truth. Ironically, the story illustrates the opposite. Yes, it's true that there's one elephant that's being experienced differently, but the reason for the differences is the narrow experience of each blind man. The presence of and their access to the whole elephant, instead of highlighting some great commonality between them, reflect their failure to perceive the whole elephant. At the same time, the story inadvertently assumes there exists one accurate comprehensive perspective, that of the narrator. Therefore, the story exposes the failure of human beings to see beyond their limited perspectives, not to mention their inability to discover God's truth on their own due to blindness. So we could end up with a skewed version of, of the world in which we live. And I'd like to tell you a little story about my own skewed version of my own, of my own reality. Okay, so here's a graphic that I did that I was part of a Torah Bytes message. Torah Bytes is this weekly message that I do uh, available at TorahBytes.org uh, where I 
do a short commentary on the books of Moses. And as many of you know, I've been doing this for over 25 years. So I, I did a message called Being a Becoming. And at that time, I was doing these videos as well to follow up on the message. And I came up with this kind of cutesy idea of, of, of being a becoming by providing three images of myself, a, a baby picture, my graduation photo from Ontario Bible College in 1981, and then myself, this is a few years ago. Um, and so I thought it was a cute idea. The, um, the baby picture was actually one of my favorite ones uh, of, of all time. I love this photo. Anyway, after I did this, something kind of twigged in my head, my mind, and I was thinking about this photo uh, of me um, and then began to realize something. Of course, this was me. On the back of the photo, my mother had written my name. Uh, but look at this one. This photo, I'm about four years old, and I remember this photo happening. I just remember my one of my brothers had a friend with a good camera, and we set up this photo with me pretending to talk on the telephone. Uh, but the problem is this child and this child are not the same. They're not the same person. And looking through an old photo album, I came to realize that that favorite photo of mine that had my name on the back, that actually wasn't me. This is me. So it makes me think, what else about myself have I taken for granted, which, which actually isn't, uh, isn't, isn't me at all? There's things about our history. I wonder if there are things about ourselves that we assumed were one way. We grow up with these kinds of ideas and only to discover, no, it wasn't that way at all. And it takes humility. Uh, after connecting with certain memories and certain impressions of who we are to accept that maybe we're not who we thought we were. And I, you know, so people growing up to find out that they were adopted. Uh, we've encountered, I don't know how much of it is um, pretend or reality when our own kids you know, think that they're adopted, that they're not actually naturally children of my wife and I, but a lot of people go through this sort of thing. Who am I? Or are they discovering some people that they're adopted? they're adopted, that their ethnic background is really different from what they assumed and all the rest, and it creates this kind of crisis. At some point, we need to connect with the reality and understand that reality properly. Now, even in, in the world in which we live, we could still have quite the skewed understanding of what we think is reality. You know, there's things I was taught about as a child about how to navigate the world in which we live which were not true. Many of them have to do with God and the Bible, but there are so many things. And then learning from the Bible what actually is true, we're going to come back to that in a moment. Um, so there's all sorts of things in life where we basically live based on an illusion. The interesting thing with the optical illusions is at, at first sight, our minds are fooled by what we see. But we can determine that these things are optical illusions and understand them for what they are instead of thinking that they're something that they're not. 
This is not an animation. It's an optical illusion. The wheels aren't really turning. There's something going on with the way our our eyes and brains are interpreting what we're seeing. So we can actually determine that something is an illusion. The little coin trick that I learned all the way back when I was in grade 10, actually living in Miami Beach at the time, that's a whole story. Uh, but um, somebody, there was a fellow student that taught me how to do the coin trick and I've been fascinating crowds and little children forever, for ever since that time. But I could show you how to do that trick. I'm not going to, uh, but I could, and you'll see that it's simply an illusion. But there's many things in life that we are interpreting one way when in actuality, it's something else. Now, because of how we process the world in which we live, a lot of people say and, and believe and live according to this idea that everything is perception. Everything is perception. That's where we get concepts of you have your truth, I have my truth, because we all perceive the world differently. There isn't an actual objective reality. When actually there is, and we've been given the ability, and I believe from God, to effectively navigate the world in which we live. But that doesn't mean we actually use that ability. If we're brought up in a in a in a family, in a culture that believes one thing about life that actually isn't true, we may conduct ourselves according to that deception our entire lives until maybe we'll learn the truth. If if you saw last week's presentation or wherever we are in the calendar, the last presentation that I did that I called uh, an epiphany of evil, talking about the Magi, it's not all about the evil, but I was talking about how the coming of this truth about the coming Jewish king actually exposed evil in its day and caused a very, very destructive reaction on the part of King Herod. In that presentation, I I talked about how however the Magi found themselves in the land of Israel due to whatever their research showed them, it only took them so far. They were on the right track, but it took the scriptures to actually lead them to the place where the Messiah had been born. And so there are many things in this world and, and, our, and the gift of analytical skills and talents that human beings have that do help us get along, uh, come along in our um, in our pursuit of navigating the world effectively, but those natural things will only take us so far. Sometimes they completely send us in wrong directions, but sometimes they send us on good directions, but only so far. We require greater insight that comes from God through his word in, in order to, to understand. I, I want to show you something else that I, I came across just this morning about how the way people are thinking about life is causing us to navigate the world in which we live in a, in a, in a skewed sort of way. This was uh, brought to my attention by one of our kids earlier today. It was posted by a new site called True North. This is the actual Simon Fraser University website. 
and they're offering this new workshop called Climate Change, Anxiety, and Grief. Let's see what you will get out of this if you take this workshop. It says here, Learning Outcomes. Understand the symptoms of climate change, anxiety, and grief. Learn strategies to cope with climate change, anxiety, and grief. And three, find out how to access further help and support. Well, this is the outcome of all that we've been hearing about the changes we're seeing in the climate. People have become so freaked out over what they perceive is going on and all the constant rhetoric they're hearing about what's happening around us. Let's see if I can bring up the snow experience from this morning again. Oh, yes, it is cold outside. Now, interestingly, in Vancouver, most of the time in what we call winter in the rest of Canada, Vancouver does not look like this. My family and I lived in the Vancouver area for 16 years over two different stints. Um, and uh, I don't know if we ever saw a scene exactly like this one. We we remember winters where we would get about uh, two weeks of of real cold and, and, and maybe snow that would stick around. Um, but most of the winter, it would be very, very green and with a lot of, I don't like the way that loops, uh, very green. My wife is probably going to tell me that I shouldn't have brought that to your attention. L let me know what you think. Uh, but I'm sensitive to this sort of thing. Moving on. Most of the time, Vancouver so-called winter, how dare you be part of Canada, uh, is, is very, very green. And so, I don't know, maybe they need a climate change anxiety workshop in the Vancouver area because it does seem Vancouver is getting more severe weather uh, of all sorts than, than, it, than it has has had in a long time. But I remember when we were living there that first time in the first half of the 1980s, I was talking to someone who had lived in Vancouver their whole lives at that time. I think they were well into their 50s or 60s. And they talked about the more harsh winters and the more snow that they used to get. And by this time, we were hardly getting any snow. Now they've been getting these serious dumps and very cold temperatures. Um, remember when this was called global warming and, and then it became climate change? And what's been happening because of all the the talk about these things, people are experiencing all this anxiety. And as I was looking at this today, I was thinking, do you do you forget how Canada became Canada? And I don't want to end up getting into a discussion about colonialism as I talk about this, but Canada, most of Canada has like five months of pretty harsh winter weather. And the whole thing about the of what became Canada uh, was when Europeans came to this country and learned from the indigenous peoples of how to survive in the midst of this very harsh climate. And here's Vancouver experiencing what we might call more typical Canadian weather and they need now workshops and, and if you're struggling I'm not making fun of you it has to do more with a whole way of relating to what's going on. If it is actually true that climate is significantly changing, and if it is true that 
coastal areas are in danger, if it's really true that people's jobs where they live might be in jeopardy, instead of thinking that we can fight the climate, maybe we should learn how to endure the climate. That's what human beings have always done. Sometimes we've had to, humans have had to move to other areas because of changing uh, environmental situations. But now it's as if, oh, if we only do this and we only do that and we only do the other thing, and even with all of the, the doing of it, it still seems that, that the climate is coming to consume us. Actually, biblically speaking, we talk about a biblical worldview, there's a direct relationship of the, of the environment to the moral, the morality of the people living in various places. I can make a strong biblical case for that it's our spiritual and moral lives that have the greatest effect on the environment in which we live. And in, in from a biblical point of view, instead of putting all of our energy in thinking that we could reduce greenhouse gases and that's going to fix the problem, we would do a lot better in looking at our own lives and adjusting our lives accordingly and then whether God gives us the wisdom to deal with the harsh climate or he changes the climate, however he, he blesses us in response to, to living godly lives, I believe that's really where our en energy should go. And that, that brings us to the fact that this help that we need to navigate the world in which we live better is is to be found in the truth of God's word. Psalm 119, which is a wonderful psalm that celebrates the word of God. And, and, and note, it's often funny, that there's a lot of, of, of Christians who, they say they love the Bible, but they disparage the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and, uh, and at the same time embrace the Psalms. And Psalm 119 in particular, in particular, celebrates the, the, the scriptures, the Torah in particular, the books of Moses. Um, and uh, there's so much we could learn from that, that it's all of God's word that provides what the writer of this psalm celebrates when uh, he writes, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's Psalm 119, 105. It's one of my favorite verses uh, in the scriptures. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I have here an ancient oil lamp. Here's the ancient oil lamp. A wick would go in, in here. We're going to point it the wrong way. Here, the wick would go in here. The oil goes in here. I tried it once and it actually worked. Um, and so this is this is ancient, but it's probably a few hundred years after Yeshua came. I believe this is a Byzantine era replica of an oil lamp. The older lamps were a little more open. This, this, this is a little more closed. But note, this, this is a very common. You could buy one of these at almost any souvenir shop in, in Israel. Um, but note how these would be used. So this is a personal, this is like having a personal flashlight in, in ancient times. Think about how much light this would actually cast. Answer, not that much, but 
enough to keep you from stumbling in the dark. And so people would have their personal oil lamps. Like we see in the movies, you know, people going around these big torches. And maybe there was a time when people did that. But in ancient Israel, people would likely have something along the lines of this. And what it would do in the very dark nights, um, they this would cast just enough light to take the next step and the next step and the next step. Very often, we want God to give us, He wants. we want Him to illuminate our entire lives, our present and our future, never mind to help us understand our past. We want the whole thing lit up like, like a hockey arena um, or a baseball stadium where it feels like daytime in, the, in, in, at, in a night game. Um, and they need that because of the, the TV cameras. That's what we want, but that's not what God wants to give us. God wants to give us just enough light for the next step and the next step so that we could navigate life effectively. In order to do that, not only do we need to understand what the Bible teaches and the and principles derived from the Bible, we need to grasp the Bible on its own terms. And there's so much in the complexity in in how to do that most effectively. Um, that's something that I try to do uh, with my Thinking Biblically bod- podcast, where, as I say, always say at the beginning, uh, that, I don't know if you call that a motto or, or whatever it is, all scripture for all of life, that in the Bible's complexity, we are able to, to discern God's truth in order to live effective, godly lives, to interact with what we're being fed on the news, which sometimes might be, don't listen to the news, especially more and more as we see a media becoming more and more biased. How do you get through all the, all the news, all the bias, all the propaganda in order to get to the truth of things? Well, for some people, it's, some people need to ignore all that noise and get going with what God wants them to get going for. Other people are called to interact with some with, with these things and get to the bottom of what's going on in the society and help people to navigate uh, what's going on effectively. The light is available to us to navigate an otherwise dark world. And that light's given to us by God's word, this, the scriptures, and by the power of his Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, that who is available to us if we put our trust in the Messiah, Yeshua. And if we do that and do it humbly, he will enable us to navigate the world, to be able to deceive, deceive, to be able to discern when we're being deceived, to be able to know when we're being presented with an illusion or a lie. God will give us that ability to do so. We need to know his word. And that is what I'm seeking to do on and with the Thinking Biblically podcast. And so what do you think? If you have any comments, you can put them in the comment section below. You can also put your questions there. I'll try to get to them as soon as I can. You can also email me at uh, comments at thinkingbiblically.org. Send me suggestions. Maybe there are some topics you want me to cover. Maybe there are people that you want me to interview. Maybe you can uh, connect me with somebody that you know or yourself. Uh, just because you want to be interviewed doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Um, but I will pray about it. I can I can assure you that. Also, 
I'm looking to, to the Lord first of all, but people like you to help support my teaching ministry. And you can get more information about that at alangilman.ca slash support, alangilman.ca slash support. Again, you can email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. And so until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically.